Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. One of the things as we look out uh, on the world is the world's become a riskier place. It's always been full of risk and all and full of threats. Uh, but uh, the complexity of those threats and the global nature of those threats, even on a, uh, showing up on a regional basis, are getting more profound. And companies more than ever not only have to have a risk strategy, uh, but they have to increasingly look at new tools to automate those strategies uh, because you just can't hire enough people on the street uh, to help you with the nature of that task. Uh, Interesting enough, when we did some digging, though, we found a gentleman who is, um, has uh, lived with risk all his professional career. He started a company called Investigative Research Consultants that actually embedded their people inside companies uh, around uh, both uh, asset discovery, fraud, and, and uh, financial threats. Uh, then later, he started a company around executive protection and extraction services on the ground. He has a criminal justice degree. And what we thought is we'd pick his brain on the nature of uh, risk as it's evolved, where it is today, and where he sees it going in the future. I want to introduce to the great conversation the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Antic, Tom Kopecki. Tom, great having you on. Thanks, Ron. It's good to be here. Well, I'm, I'm ready for a great conversation. I've got my glass of wine. We're sitting by the fire and, uh, and uh, we're, we're ready to really pick your brain. Like I said, uh, tell me a little, little bit about your learnings and starting up two companies, uh, like I mentioned in my opening. Yeah, um, you know, I look back on that and I think it's, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that the word that pops out the most is somehow analog right? It seemed like during whether it was investigative uh, work related to litigation or fraud matters, or even if it was on the security side, you know, we weren't calling things protective intelligence and we weren't really automating a lot of our processes, tons of manual discovery. And with that, the organizational management complexities that come with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. In that analog experience, though, you got pretty efficient. You developed a process, a workflow, if you will, to be able to aggregate that data from the boots on the ground and from, the, from uh, staring at documents all day and the, the data that came at you in an analog way. Tell me how you stayed efficient in that process back then. You know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned we created a workflow, which we did. Um, I'll be honest, though, at the time, we didn't know that's what we were doing. We just did it. And what we had to do, which is important to note, is we had to do investigative triage at scale, right? I mean, when you're doing it in the private sector, budgets matter, right? The ROI component is important. Um, so we had to become efficient, right? If you were embedded with clients, you knew that they had certain budget restraints to, you know, to to be cognizant of. And we just started figuring out, especially in the security use case of our investigative world, what things mattered most, you know, around a threat actor or a situation of risk, and then how to go capture those data points efficiently 
And, you know, working as a small team, we just realized over time we could kind of do some of this without talking and certain people would handle certain components, but we still had to kind of amass this information, put it in a central repository in a way that could be, you know, ingested and distilled. What I love, what I love when you said budgets matter, it's so funny because we know seconds matter when it comes to people's lives and their assets. We know seconds matter. We know, we know minutes matter, right? And, and, and there's this little uh, tricky hidden threat called the budget that kind of gets in the way of that. And, uh, and back in the analog days though, you still had to set priorities because budgets matter. You had to set priorities. What, what really is important here that we can affect and affect efficiently? Yeah, yeah, budgets always mattered, right? So we had to recognize that. We had to operate within those guidelines. And, you know, security teams and investigative security teams, you know, are, are always asked to do more with less, it seems. There's no shortage. You know, even 10, 15 years ago, it didn't seem like there was any shortage of information to ingest and make sense of. And, you know, as time goes on and we become more digitized in every manner of life, those signals and digital components, I mean, they're, they're like tidal waves, right? And now, I, again, like I mentioned, you know, doing things at scale, being efficient, like it's, it's no longer a nice to have to automate some of this. It's a must have. Like, I mean, terabytes of data are created every day, right? I mean, more or less, probably every second. But how would you as a protective intelligence analyst, you know, stay at the forefront if you had to go back and pull manila, you know, folders and write reports by hand and talk to people on the phone to get more insights? It's like, no, there has to be a better way. And, you know, that's what we think we have created. It's so funny, too. I just got off uh, uh, another conversation with a gentleman who's written a book called Snow Day and where the title came from was uh, back as kids, if you remember, uh, the snow would start coming down and uh, they had a, a chain of mothers who would phone each other up and say whether they were going to school or not, right? And, and that was the analog way of communicating what we were gonna do over an incident, right? <laughs> and he, he was relating that to his lessons learned in interviewing security leaders around the world uh, from 9-11 to whatever. Uh, so. So you're absolutely right, though. The world's changed. Seconds do matter. Terabytes of data coming at you, which if we handle it the old way, would cost you more money on the budget because <laughs> you'd have to throw lots of people at that. So uh, today, if we do call it a workflow for a second, right, what are the methodologies that you see? Forget technology right now. What are the methodologies you're seeing that the advanced risk thought leaders are using to manage uh, risk today? What, what are the methodologies they're deploying? That's great. You didn't want to send me a, a, an easy question, did you? No, 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 okay. no. Well, so generally, we're not talking a step-by-step here. I'm not going to right. drill down into right. it, but, but generally they have to have a certain sense of discipline, if you will, or workflow around that. Sure. For sure. And, you know, what I've noticed too is like, you know, as a, a embedded, you know, support team that I would bring to the table, like we had to become 
um, part of our clients' operations, right? So we weren't coming in to fix things. We were coming in to change the world. We came in to help and make everybody more efficient, um, help see around the corner where we could. You know, so to that point, we would recognize that people have, you know, part of its art, part of its science, part of its uh, human behavior and how you like to handle things, right? Um, so depending if you're weighing risk around uh, a geopolitical issue or if you're or weighing risk around, let's say, a facility or, or a threat actor in the terms of, you know, what we look at in the protective intelligence space is like a person of interest, right? One of the things we noticed, and, and this might sound really like unimportant, but it is, is like general physics, you know, rule the day. So that being the case of when I know who I need to investigate, and that person has uh, conducted themselves in a way that seems very unhealthy to my client. Well, if I have insights on where that person is, you know, or the general location they're operating in, I have a good understanding if that makes my risk higher or technically lower by using simple physics, right? Like, I mean, unless somebody's sending a package bomb or some type of, you know, chemical in, a, in, in an envelope, they need to be physically present to cause harm to, to our clients. So what we did was after we would confirm, let's say identity of a threat actor, we would immediately try to get insights around where they are. Because if we can do that, we could then either, you know, like I said before, triage the matter and, and recognize that, hey, this person is very close and they're very active. So we need to, you know, recognize that respond accordingly or on the flip side if they're five states away in a halfway house and they just have access to pen and paper and they're they're out there harassing you and all your other clients well you know i don't want to say that's better but it really is because they're not next to you they're not in your general area you don't have to you know keep your teams don't have to have their heads on swivels to you know be aware of every moment yeah that's that that is so cool and i love I love how you frame that, um, the where and how of the threat actor uh, gives you a, a sense of priority uh, and a, a sense of what the decision-making process is going to be. Uh, and, and so if, if we sit on that for a moment and now we say in a more complex world, in a more uncertain world uh, where we're having incidents coming at us from different threat vectors, um, what are you using now? What are you seeing your peers are using now in technology to help them optimize their efforts and be more accurate in their threat assessments? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I think with all the, let's call them political dynamics we have, we're experiencing uh, socioeconomic dynamics, uh, special interest groups, fringe groups, as active as they are, you know, one of the things that we know is very key and it will be for quite some time is, you know, accurate regional news, not necessarily, you know, clickbait news. I'm talking about actionable information. So I know that again, if, if I'm operating in a certain area, you know, do I need to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, something like a January 6th event is occurring, you know, I can choose to not be in that area. So, so regional news is, is super important. I think what, what's also important and I'm, is making sure people can communicate more effectively 
as they go about their day. So if you think about how much information you transmit in your world and how much information I transmit in mine, if there was a way that you can work in a certain way or communicate in a certain way that like your systems could communicate and understand what your teammate is doing more so without having to talk as much simply by the how they act, um, actioned, let's say an investigation or what kind of, um, you know, integrated research they were running. If I knew that they were active on one of my cases and I had an alerting function around that, I would know that, hey, there's some, something has caused them to have an under, you know, recognize that maybe the risk is heightened. I don't know, but if I was able to just understand that and then go talk to that person quicker, that makes my day a lot easier. So communication tools, you know, regional news, um, insights around risk. And I, and I don't want to say risk generally, but I mean, you know, when you look at, um, let's say, let's stick with threat actor investigations, right? Like things that will provide insights around, you know, criminal activity is important, right? Uh, we can't ignore that. But I think equally, and sometimes more important is uh, certain public record sources that could provide insights on mode of living, uh, financial uh, problems in one's life, you know? And, you know, as, a, as an example, we had a, a threat actor that was very vocal on social media, making a lot of threats against a client. Well, when you pair that up immediately with the fact that you understand that they had arrest records, significant amount of arrests for domestic violence, um, you know, other, you know, antisocial behavior. And then they were also, you know, in the middle of a bankruptcy, they were getting evicted from their home, they were getting divorced. I mean, you're talking about compounding events that may trigger somebody who's already having a bad day into actually carrying out some act. That's right. That's right. And what's interesting, because, um, what you've done in the past has been a team sport. You didn't stand alone. You had many different sources, uh, uh, research investigators working in a team. You're still saying it's a team sport, but if we can reduce the amount of touch points between us and we can communicate more effectively and automate that process, then we're probably gonna be more accurate and timely in our situational awareness and our, our actionable response. No, that's exactly it. You know, I can't tell you how many times that a post-it note with critical information didn't make its way to the right person. That's right. That's right. Yeah. In, in Snow Day, Mark was talking about how uh, little known by the public, but there had been an order to shoot down passenger jets on 9-11. The order never got, got to its destination because of the silos of excellence that were in the, the federal government at that time. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but back to your post-it notes. Uh, so, so as we use technology to avoid the post-it notes, capture the knowledge, aggregate the knowledge, uh, synthesize the knowledge, uh, and then uh, effectively communicate it to the team that's managing the response, you're saying we have that today, is that correct? Oh yeah, we definitely have that today. Okay. So let's use a few minutes now. If we have that today, are we back to, back to the constraints that are keeping people from deploying that platform approach, that correlation approach? What do you see are keeping chief security officers and their teams and business people 
from going forward with the technology? Is it budget again or is it something else? You know, I would say sometimes it is budget. You know, I, I don't want to rely on that alone. I think part of it is educating um, the market. You know, you have people with very diverse backgrounds that come out of, you know, different government agencies, military law enforcement that have different ways of doing things. And maybe they've relied on different systems that were efficient for them. So, you know, part of it's educating the market and letting people know that certain tools do exist, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, building in, this is, this is a key point I noted recently was building functionality that can bridge digital with physical was one of the biggest aha moments for us and for our clients, right? When you compare, pair up those digitally collected signals with whether they were human observations or information obtained through something like a license plate reader on a camera, right? And, and make sense of that and understand that, you know, your guard might've seen a suspicious vehicle well, they capture that information and drive it to a platform. And immediately you can tell that that vehicle was seen in several other key locations at off times through uh, information collected on a license plate reader camera or through another team, you know, and they created an investigative report that went to the same platform and you can scour all that information and create insights from it. I think that's, that's big. And, you know, and, and if you look at it, not to downplay the world of, you know, artificial intelligence, this isn't even artificial intelligence. This is a lot of existing methodologies that you stitch together and create some very, you know, sophisticated rules engines around. Gosh, what I love about that, you know, we, um, we started this conversation about, we have sensors everywhere and we also have the human sensor and here you are almost like an imperative at this stage in our maturity cycle in our technology, you're saying, you're saying you're creating an infinitely scalable engine that will do both, both data sources in the digital world, whether it's public sources or so forth, with the infinitely scalable bridge to the human sensor. And now we have the best of both worlds, uh, right? It, uh, because at the end of the day, you have more opportunities to validate the intelligence you're getting uh, correlate those uh, and synthesize those sources and then act upon them in a back to the team sport, uh, uh, act on, on them in an appropriate manner. Yeah, I, I, I believe that's spot on. I think one of the things we need to, you know, really um, articulate is that, you know, our, our objective is to create more insights for the individual operator. We're, uh, our objective is to help bridge communications, bridge those intelligent gaps, uh, pair, like I said, digital to the physical world and do it in a way that can be, you know, digestible where you can create, you know, abbreviated or concise alerting structure around so that, you know, the operator doesn't have to go read, you know, two inches of written material in a report to understand the big picture. You simply don't have the time, right? Well, what I, um, what I love about what you're saying, Tom, and love about your team is uh, you're, taking, you're taking people who are experts in their field in, a, in the analog world, and uh, you're continuing to get feedback uh, from uh, the industry 
on where those gaps are. And you're, you're in a sense, you're, you're forming your own correlation engine as a product management process uh, to, to, to mature your engine over time, to mature your platform over time. I'm going to ask you, I know you're not a technologist by trade. You have those on staff. Uh, but if you were to look to the future, something that is a promise right now, um, that uh, but isn't uh, you're not capable of today, what do you think that promise is for the future? What is the promise for uh, technology's role in uh, accelerating and optimizing even further the intelligence function? You know, I, I'm very careful with our teams to um, stress what's legend versus reality. Right. And, you know, you can ask our engineering team. I mean, they're amazing, but I'm also probably one of their biggest frustrations because I want more and I want to challenge ourselves. Um, I do want to create a lot of simplicity, you know, so that, you know, users can adopt the technology. They can understand the insights it gives or it provides so they can also understand how to drive information to the platform through their various you know, work streams um, so that they know that they're contributing to a much bigger picture, right? So like the biggest thing that I could look for is probably, you know, simplicity uh, yet maintaining the sophistication. You look at the types of technology around security that exists today. And I mean, we could talk for another five more of these sessions and not even, you know, make a dent in it. You have there's, I don't know how many 2000 plus cyber companies that are competing for the market. You have physical security, you have you know, access control cameras, every other gadget known to man, plus you have tools that benefit the human operator. So you're layering security tool upon security tool upon security tool. And at the end of the day, we need some system that can bridge you know, those, those gaps, whether it's digital, physical, um, cyber, to physical, you know, is big. It's, you look at the insider threat world now and, you know, we're really focusing efforts on that. How can we help, you know, use our investigative workflow in our platform to, you know, benefit companies in that way. And, and how can we get cyber teams talking to physical security teams? Cause they don't, and they speak different languages. Can we be the translator between the two? That's where I'd love to be. That's, that's awesome. You also are doing one other thing for your product management team. Because you are the, um, the voice in the wilderness constantly saying, listen, we don't need more complexity. We need you to hide it. We need you to make it more simple, more easy to adopt. What you ended up doing, and you implied this, what you end up doing is putting the technology in people's hands and they will pull you in to your innovative next practices and use patterns of that technology, if it's simple to use and easy to adopt. So that, that's brilliant. Do you find that you're starting to put together a user community because of the simplicity of your engine today that is actually doing that and pull, pulling you forward? Um, I'm gonna be careful how I answer this one, right? Cause I, there's an answer I'd love to have and then there's the, the real answer. So yes, <laughs> we have a community. Um, we wouldn't be where we're at today without a community of um, believers, whether they use our technology or not. We have friends in the industry and we have practitioners that we listen to and we ask for, you know, the bad news. We ask for things that we're not doing well. And um, I think, you know, we've benefited greatly from that. 
because we do make changes, we do innovate. And there's clients that look at some of our new functionality and features and they know that if it wasn't for them, it wouldn't exist. So yes, we have a community. Is it simple enough? Absolutely not. We're creating more workflows, more intro wizards, you know, how to follow the workflow, guided workflows. And, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of uh, positive feedback benefits. And then, you know, you, you want to have the ability to bring a, a client into, or a user into the platform and, and not have them fall into a no man's land, right? You want to be able to go do what you need to do, gain the insights, establish very key alerts and configuration around what it is you need to be notified of and what you need to be muted so that the practitioners can go back about their day and whenever they get an alert, hopefully it's something that's really important and not just- You you mentioned earlier art and science, right? And if you can create avatars, you know, digital assistants that capture that art and science and help, help people who really need need this tool, but may not come from the same background as yourself, that would be an amazing step in the industry. Yeah, we're, we're seeing, and, and I've done a, a webinar about this, we've talked about, you know, the evolution of the industry. Um, we're seeing practitioners from all different backgrounds now, which is exciting. You know, you're seeing uh, women leading teams to a degree they, they never did before. You're seeing some, you know, academics paired up with three-letter agency people paired up with, you know, military intelligence. And the tech savviness blows my mind. It's great. It's great to see. Um, And, but I will tell you this, because people have diverse backgrounds and come from different areas, they don't always have, you know, immediate knowledge of the the scalable, budget-friendly workflow. You know, and I'm not saying we're doing this, you know, off the cuff, um, on a shoestring, but, you know, to be scalable is key. So creating those workflows and wizards and getting people understanding that there can be, whether it's your methodology or someone else's, you can follow that throughout a platform to get the key benefits you're looking for. And just by the fact that a workflow exists, you can have newer, newer users jump right in with little friction Well, this has been a great conversation as we get on the rocket ship back to the future with Tom Kopecki. It's it's going to be a wild ride, Tom, and and, uh, it's it's good to have you on board with us. This is is going to be a wild ride into helping the industry fill those gaps. Thank you for a great conversation. Thank you, Ron.